You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. What's going on, Unstucked fam? If you're loving the podcast, be sure to visit unstuck.com for more resources, ways to work one-on-one with me and my company, Unstucked, as well as our free Unstucked guide to help you get unstuck in your career, life, finances, and business. Some exciting news, we have launched our budgeting course where I will sit down with you and walk you through our custom budget. The link will be below. More exciting news, we have gotten a feature spot in Medium. The name of the article is Here Are Three Signs It Is Time to Fire Your Boss. You can find the link below. I hope you read it. I hope you enjoy it. And most importantly, I hope you learn something from it. I'm so happy you're here for the ride. And now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstuck Podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Dumas. Today, I'm joined by Tiffany Knighton. Tiff is an award-winning PR and branding expert based in New York City. Tiff is also the founder and CEO of Brand Curators, a creative agency dedicated to amplifying diverse voices through brand building and influential storytelling. I will tell you, Tiff is someone that I have been waiting to interview. Hey, Tiff, how are you? I'm so good. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I was just telling uh, Tiff, I was actually listening to your episode with Gabby on Corporate Quitter, and I would say that's probably one of my favorite episodes, not just because you give such well-rounded answers, but... You give real answers. Like, it's not the sugar-coated. It's like, this is what I'm going through, and this is what it is. And that's why I know you and Gabby are homies, so shout out to Gabby. I appreciate that. And, you know, Gab has that, like, New York, blunt, straight-to-the-point vibe. And I, too, am, like, pretty allergic to toxic positivity and things that you don't need. So I appreciate you seeing real. Real sees real. All day long. All day long. So for those of you that maybe haven't read your New York Times articles or, or don't know your backstory— Start to tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you arrive at brand curators? I know that some of that had to do with some of that corporate toxicity and getting out of the nine to five. Just want to hear a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually started my business like right in the pandemic in 2020. And the reason why I started brand curators, which at the time was the brand curator, kind of my professional brand solo, was because in the process of being amongst this uprising and all the attention that came from George Floyd's murder and all the attention on the Black community and really supporting the Black community. As that was going on, myself and a few other like-minded creatives wanted to do something to kind of help those Black-owned businesses during that time where they were getting so much attention. So it actually started off with me working with a few other creatives, really incredible women who are entrepreneurs, business owners. And we all created this collective called Sold Out Saturday. Shout out to the Sold Out Saturday girls. Yes. Essentially what Sold Out Saturday was, every week we would select a business to spotlight and drive attention to. So we'd kind of do this approach where all of us sent our followers, like got our community in to just go all in and support, sell out a business that weekend. But we actually learned something really quickly. I think we did a great job with that project, especially something that we kind of whipped together with the circumstances. It became really clear that even though there was all this support and great sales coming into these Black-owned businesses and everybody was, you know, posting their Black squares but wanted to do something a little bit more than that, which I appreciated. But you kind of actually realize that the system, the lack of resources, 
just the position that Black businesses are in within the economy wasn't really sustainable to support some of that attention that I was getting. Even though there's all these sales going towards it, just sometimes Black businesses are really kind of overlooked for the funding and the mentorship, the resources. So there was a lot of development that still needed to be done. And I saw an opportunity to basically really work with these Black entrepreneurs and business owners, help them nurture their business with better strategies, you know, more support with content marketing, getting out there. My background is in public relations. And so I really saw an opportunity to be able to kind of partner with and champion these Black entrepreneurs and business owners. That's amazing. And it's funny how, you know, things are kind of a windy road. And uh, I love that you focus on Black-owned businesses and really Black people in general. And this is something I talk about with guests quite often is they seem like different worlds. I mean, even when you scroll on TikTok or you go on Instagram, right, it's very clear who dominates the narrative, right? And I still think we're very much in this, I always call it like this Black renaissance where we're just now starting to get like a very powerful voice. And so I appreciate that you say that. And, you know, personally, having a Black-owned business and operating, I always kind of feel, and I think this gets really deep, right? I always feel a little bit like an outcast. I always feel like I need to do a little bit more. Have you ever felt that? And in that collective, I can imagine, right, there's a moment where it's like, why do we have to try so hard? Like, why does it seem like Black-owned businesses need to put in, you know, five times the effort and, and be perfect? Like, talk a little about that. Have you experienced that? Have you seen that with your own clients? So in so many ways, I'm glad you brought it up. And just to co-sign, like, you know, Black people are the trendsetters and leading these conversations and setting these examples and really starting the movements that you see in almost every industry. It is ironic that we kind of struggle with where we fit in, right? And so one thing that is actually a great example, another lesson from Sold Out Saturday was that you know, people are so quick to shake their fingers at Black businesses when something goes wrong, right? Like, right. I oh, think man. with small businesses and Black-owned businesses, you know what I'm talking about, where one issue shipping or customer service-wise, one thing, it kind of just like leaves a bigger imprint in the business. And I think people are more likely to either complain or like leave bad reviews, but kind of give a little bit more grace to Amazon or major corporations who might make these mistakes often and were held to different standard a lot of the time. Yeah. And and that's something that I personally haven't dealt with, but I have clients that have, especially with strangers on the internet. Right. And I think that that's kind of a big exercise you have to do uh, and take it into your reality too, and realize that you have your focus, you have your why that you're not perfect like anyone else in business, right? And so, you know, I mentor Black, you know, entrepreneurs who are really young. And that's one of the first exercises I do is have your overwhelming why, bring attention to those things that you might struggle with, right? That you may not want to share with people, like share it. Because a lot of the times your other Black counterparts are going through the same thing. And I actually have Rakim, I write on I Fired Your Boss, a column on Medium, and we talk about this at length. It's really interesting how that type of narrative exists internally and how that can really deter someone from even trying. And I'm guilty of that myself. And, you know, I just started this platform about a year ago 
And I just kind of found my why, and it really was to help any and everyone, but really just bring more representation and start to show a different narrative and a different perspective that not a lot of people have. And, you know, for me, that was, you know, being raised by a single mother on welfare. That was, you know, growing up in Palo Alto, California, one of the whitest areas in the world, but also one of the richest areas in the world. And I learned a lot of lessons that is actually you're more powerful when you don't give power to a lot of this negativity, when you just march in your own power. And I see that in you. I see that in Gabby. So talk about that. How did you start to walk in your own power? How did you start to set those trends? How did you start to really you know, lead and be confident with your business ideas and also your ideas for your clients? I love that, Khalil. I love that you shared that with me, especially because, you know, mentorship, I also find so important and especially that representation and getting mentored by people who look like you and are in spaces that, you know, they want to be in. So I love that. I think that really what you're talking about is another like key mission of brand curators is amplifying diverse voices and telling these stories that I think a lot of times we believe that the story's already been told or that people have heard the story in some capacity. And we're actually really surprised a lot of the time to learn that there's people going through the same thing and maybe haven't had either the courage or the platform or have even processed (laughs) what they've gone through. So to give you a great example of that in my personal life, when I was in college, college Tiffany was doing the most. I came in with a mission. I am the type of person who, if I say I'm going to do something, like I really do stick with it. And so I even came to school knowing that I wanted to do public relations. My dad actually was in public affairs communications, and it kind of seemed like a natural fit for me based off of kind of superficial things like teachers would say I was a social butterfly and I liked planning events. And (laughs) I kind of probably saw some glamorous things, you know, not all sex in the city, um, New York PR, but a few other examples where I thought communications might be good for somebody like me. So when I got into college, I just hit the ground and wanted to do all the things. So I was interning all over the place, like different agencies, different nonprofits, some small businesses, some for like a part-time job, some for free, you know, unpaid internships, just trying to get that experience. I ended up being in like the uh, PRSSA, like the PR club, kind of climbed up those ranks from member to being more involved in the executive board. And when I was a senior, I was actually the president of the organization. And I say all that to say that, you know, in college, I felt really on top of the world. I actually even graduated with a full-time job before I even graduated because I was just putting in that work, trying to meet people, networking, and I felt really proud of myself. But what I wasn't ready for was the real world. They don't prepare you for what really happens. You think you're prepared. And just to be able to kind of get into these corporate settings and see what really goes on and how you're viewed, and especially when you're a confident Black woman, how people try to knock you down a peg or humble you. And in those years between graduating and up to last year when I quit my job, there were so many lessons learned about representation, being in the workforce, and how your story actually can resonate with a lot of people. So I'll pause there, and then, yeah, we'll talk, we'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to tackle a couple areas. You know, you talk about spaces, right? For myself, I'm actually still kind of in that corporate side and also have a business. So very young, after I left Nike, I joined a startup. 
ended up getting equity and learning that whole process. When you talk about school not preparing you for things, right? They teach you how to negotiate a salary, but they don't teach you how to necessarily negotiate equity, right? And so that was a really interesting lesson that I had to learn. Being in the startup space, you mentioned, right? Black people always have that courage, always have the kind of burden to speak up. And I've actually cultivated that as a very, very good skill of mine in the corporate space uh, and in business as well. People don't like to speak up, right? People like to swim in their own lanes. They like to go through broken processes. I'm the first one to speak up. And I know that I had that captivation in the room because I'm very unique and different in the room. And I used to kind of see that as a detractor. And now it's something that, you know, I absolutely use. So you talk about courage, you talk about being able to speak up, and you talk about school not teaching you certain things. It certainly doesn't teach you how to be a Black person and move through corporate spaces and how to nurture yourself in the process. And I think I miss the nurturing piece. That piece I still struggle with, you know, taking the time to acknowledge complex feelings, taking the time to just like be leisurely and not feel like I have to be on fire and have all this momentum all the time, uh, just be, like be a human being. And so that was something that as you were kind of talking, that was something that became very apparent was in your time now from college to having that unique experience of trying to amplify Black businesses to your own company, like what are some of the things that that you had to unlearn? Because I know I'm still unlearning some things. Uh, what are some of the things if you could go back and tell Tiff, you know, 10 years ago, like what would you have her unlearn first? Oof, the unlearning. That is definitely something that even being almost one year out of my corporate job or corporate environments, nine to five, I'm still figuring out. But the first thing that comes to mind with that unlearning is, like you said, just figuring out that you can be. There definitely was a level of slight performance just to be able to be palatable in these environments. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) You know what I mean? And one of the biggest things that I wanted when I was leaving my corporate job is I I said to myself, I really want to you know, of course, work with people who look like me, but be able to make my entire existence also just so integrated into my business that there is no code switching. I don't code switch anymore. And I did because you that's a survival technique, right? You don't just code switch. It's not something that's just to appease non-Blacks or, you know, it's not what people think it is. It's, it's actually a survival tactic. It's actually something that you subconsciously start to do. And when I decided I wanted to work with Black business owners, Black content creators, or even, you know, people of color in general, um, LGBTQ communities, those are all different aspects of myself. And these are things that I communicate in my art and creativity. And so being able to work with clients that reflect that, it just feels like such a relief and I think that it's really taught me that this can exist. You can just be, and it doesn't have to feel like you are going into a place where I don't normally dress like that. I don't normally talk like that. I'm on guard. Also, not having to have that fear of, am I making a mistake? That is actually something I'll be totally honest with you about. I had a lot of fears of sabotage and people putting you in situations where you're kind of being set up a little bit because it's happened. And then I had my guard up a lot of the time with that. It it made me super cautious. So now, you know, you're cautious in a different way when you're a business owner, but I feel like I can live out loud in a way where I'm moving freely and creatively without boundaries. 
live out loud. Like that should be a campaign in and of itself. I want to get a little bit into your why when you left your corporate job, but you said something very key, which is code switching and also kind of being on guard and having that kind of worry in the back of your head, am I making a mistake? And I notice even today, you know, again, I'm sold one startup and I'm in another one now. I'm in a healthcare startup. So I kind of go from that to my business and I still kind of find a little bit of that code switching happening in both worlds. I think on the corporate side, right, as you raise money, as you talk to investors, as you live in that VC world, that's a very natural setting and you have to know how to take that armor off after you're done and get back to your own self. And working from home helps with that a lot. You're in your space, you're in your element. But when you start to think about, like, when I would go back to my business, right, I would have these kind of fears like you had, like, I need to get clients. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they sound like. Like, I just need clients. And I found those same behaviors creeping in. And it's something that I'm, like, today having to be very conscientious about because it's just not about the money, right? It's about when I wake up, how do I feel? Am I excited to help that person? Am I excited to help this business? Am I excited to help that mission? And that is so key. And when you start to talk about, right, especially being Black in these spaces, you know, like I mentioned earlier, that lacking can creep in a lot and kind of force you to do those things, right, and to conform. And so that is so important. Living out loud, like if you get one thing from this episode, for anyone listening, like like that's it. So talk about how kind of corporate didn't let you live out loud. And what are some of the differences now, like looking a year out, like what's changed? Yeah, actually, um, wow, so many things come to mind because, well, one thing I want to touch on that you just mentioned is that excitement, that joy. And I think that now that I've, you know, when I was first starting, of course, I would take, like you said, just take projects because, you know, again, you got to survive, you got to live and you got to start somewhere. So I would take different projects. But the closer I got to things that I really want to do and like working with my ideal audience, it really came back to my joy in my passions, which is I love supporting especially Black women all the time. Yes. Yes. I love All that. the time. I love Black women. I'm here for Black women. I am a Black woman. I sound like that Rihanna video. That's one of my favorite clips. I came from a Black woman. I'm going to have a Black woman. That is just what brings me joy, whether it's friends, mentors, colleagues. Like, I love to lift other people up, especially Black women. And so to then work with Black women content creators that are doing their thing and making waves and not getting that attention, I feel like I get to wake up and support what I care about. Like, you know what? We're going to land her a brand deal. She should be working with this agency. She's getting overlooked by that agency. That's not happening. She's popping. We're going to figure it out. And I can say that to my client. You're popping. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> yes. I can talk like that as a CEO. <laughs> yes. And it's fine. That. And then especially even with like, you know, we're working with some really dope entrepreneurs and, and CEOs right now. One is a uh, Black woman, lesbian, just a powerhouse who's leading an organization that's doing incredible things. And it brings me joy. Like I can wake up in the morning and I'm like, I cannot wait to work with this client. And that's not how I felt in corporate with a lot of things. And I'm not going to, you know, that's a blanket statement because of course, you know, I had a great experiences during my time. I feel like I worked on a lot of cool projects, everything from, you know, I worked in entertainment, television, music, I've worked at different nonprofits. I've kind of touched different industries and had amazing people along the way. But one commonality in my corporate experiences, and especially towards the end of my time in a corporate space, 
was that you definitely feel limited in your creativity where you don't know if you can be your full self. People who know me know it might be surprised to hear that I talk about code switching and all that because I do try to show up authentically and I'm not acting like a different person, but you are still guarded even if you do decide to share more of yourself. You don't feel like you can go all the way. And I think in this environment that I'm in now, I feel like I can go to the limits and and expand as far as I want in my own imagination and my own resources. I love that. And that's a superpower. And that takes time to cultivate. And I think personally, you know, that's something that I, not even clients, but even myself, like that's very fluid, that feeling and having that energy to expand. And I just made a TikTok about that, that, you know, we always expect to be expanding and it's very natural to still, you know, ebb and flow. And that was still, and continues to be a lesson I learned, not only in that corporate space, but also just in my business itself. And that's why people like you, Gabby, Tori, whomever it may be, are there to constantly remind me, like, I know you always want to be doing this, but like, there are moments when it's okay to just come back down to earth and be present. And so I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's super important to have that perspective. Of course. And when I think about the fact that you can do that in something that you own, you have that freedom to do that, just like with a podcast and, you know, you have the opportunity to speak to anybody and amplify any story that you want on your platform. And that's unique in itself. I think that that's also that difference. And when you have created something that's your own space, you are opening the door to allow people in on conversations they might not have heard or known about. And it goes such a long way. Same thing with, you know, being able to share my creativity. I don't feel like, well, I'm making somebody else a lot of money and are they stealing my IP? (laughs) I mean, you know, you still worry about those things, but (laughs) in a different way. All day long. I mean, I have a running spreadsheet of how much money I've made other people between, you know, Nike and my first startup and this startup. I'm about north of $80 million. And I can tell you right now, I ain't got $80 million. You know what I mean? And so that is something that I'm very cognizant of. And I keep a running tally on my vision board of of that number to remind myself that I'm capable of doing that. And, you know, just level setting with everyone listening, like, That is the biggest thing is getting out of your own way. You hear that a lot, but to put that into practice is difficult and it's not linear. But what I find is super helpful is, again, that question of when you wake up, how do you feel? Are you aligned in what you're doing? And so now that you're your own boss, like how do you keep yourself aligned? How do you keep yourself creative to the best of your ability? I want to start there and then I want to get into a very interesting question too. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, Another thing I'm still working on, always working on it, but so far the biggest things I've learned is, you know, people are like, oh, you're your own boss. You can create your own day or your own life. You're going to, you can work from a beach and make a million dollars with online businesses. You know, all those things are kind of, it's funny because when you're in it, you actually realize how much more disciplined you need to be. I was about to say, I used to think I wanted to work at a beach, but then I actually can't do it because I can't focus. <laughs> I cannot. There's so many things that I thought I would be doing. I actually, sometimes I work in coffee shops a little bit more just depending on what it is. And it's because I've kind of figured out what things I can do in a coffee shop, what things I can't. But I thought that that would be my life. I'm like, I will just work on a beach, work on a coffee shop, drop in here, drop in there. And while I naturally we'll have to travel or figure things out. It's more so you're working there because you needed to, or you had to 
make something work. So I think getting really serious about a schedule in terms of keeping myself together has been very important. And part of that schedule is actually just making time to just be like you were talking about. I can tell you about all the tactical things and all the systems and structure. I'm a Capricorn woman and raised in a military family. So I have a lot of structure. It was actually more so figuring out how to keep that creative flow. And that creative flow comes from scheduling time off, scheduling socializing, scheduling networking and thinking of my life and schedule in more of a way of like, am I letting my brain rest? Am I incorporating play? Am I incorporating, you know, throwing ideas off other like-minded people or people in different spaces that I don't normally talk to? And once I started, I won't say mastering because I'm not a master at anything. Like I'm always growing and learning. But once I started to figure that out, it's helped me so much more. Gab and I talk about it all the time where just being able to say, I'm closing this laptop. I'm going to go on a two-hour walk. And by the time I get back, I'll be in a better mental headspace to either continue on or you know, make other decisions. But while I'm gone, I can have time to just think, just be, make sure that I'm picking up you know, a pencil or a paintbrush, whatever it is that your outlet is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I love the Capricorn analogy because I'm a Scorpio. And so I think to juxtapose that, right, right. To juxtapose that, like for me, it was kind of relinquishing control. And like you said, because I thought things needed to be in this structured way. But the more that I kind of go down this path to your point, you made an excellent point. Like I get so hyper-focused and I have ADHD too. So that doesn't help. Me too. Right. We all, we all have a little Scorpio bit of Scorpio rising too. So <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm lean very heavy Taurus because I was raised by a Taurus, but you letting yourself, you know, rest, letting yourself play. Like those are kind of the weird things you don't think about in business that are so crucial to business. And honestly, what corporate lacks, you know, I definitely incorporate that in my day. I'm on the West Coast. Um, I know you are on the East Coast and my company is actually based out of New Jersey. And so it's nice when my counterparts, you know, they're done at two, three o'clock and over here, I can like kind of put that play into my day. But I would find myself switching right over to my business. That was something I had to break. And I wanted to ask you this other question because it's something that I'm kind of actively doing right now, which is kind of reinventing my schedule. Like from your perspective, what are some of your most like valuable skills? Like what are some of your most valuable things in your week that you do consistently that contributes to your success? Because I've been asking this question from a lot of people and I've gotten a multitude of different answers. And I'm gonna give you a second to think about that one because I know it's not something like we all think about, but we do certain things that are highly valuable, whether that is resting, whether that is making sure on my calendar I have, you know, 30 minutes to brainstorm my week. Like, what are some of those high valuable skills that you have? Oh, that's going to be a question that I ask just like every creative and entrepreneur from now on. So thank you for asking <laughs> that. That is yes. like, can we all huddle at the water cooler that we don't go to? And, I know, right? Our Zooms. And talk about it. <laughs> yeah, because... Yeah. Um, Okay. I actually have a few answers to this. There's some things that I've been doing and some things that I'm realizing I could be doing more of that does work in that way too. So the first thing that comes to mind, as soon as I got better at journaling, I realized what people are talking about when they say that they journal. Say that louder. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. I 
see it now. I get it now. And I, I say that because it almost felt like one of those, not cliche, but it just felt like one of those things that you always hear, like, you know, journaling. And it's not that it's such an unfamiliar concept, but it's the intentional journaling. It's realizing the why behind it. And for me, especially, you know, all these things in our heads, we're creatives, we have all these ideas, we have not enough time, like there's just so much. Just being able to sit down and besides documenting purposes, just have a release, get it off of your mind, have time to just be able to put it on paper and revisit it and see the growth too. I'm really realizing that that is like a major part of my process now. Another thing is, again, with the schedule, I'm so stingy with my calendar now. I am like in this new season of, you know, being able to reclaim my time. Shout out Maxine Waters. And I will block things off. I blocked off yesterday. There was, um, you were the top thing on my uh, calendar. thank you. (laughs) Yes, because I was like, you know what? I'm really looking forward to this discussion I don't want to have a hectic day and like run into this. I blocked off time for an artist date. And I learned that from Julia Cameron, The Artist Way. That was a really great book in terms of exploring like creative flow. In that book, they actually do push you to like do morning pages, journaling, and do things that are artist dates weekly, which is just taking yourself out on a creative date whatever that means to you, if that's a walk, if that's painting, if that's taking a random class. And so now that's actually a critical time in my calendar where I'm like offline for an afternoon or day, whatever I can squeeze in at the time and make it nothing guilt-free. And that's, again, going back to that unlearning because I used to feel so guilty when I first started doing that. I'd be like, oh my God, there's so many things I have to do and like napping felt unproductive. Now I'm like, napping's productive. Oh, I'm king of naps. I'm king of the 20 minute. Don't mess the with 20 me. Min- <laughs> that sustains me. Yes, I, I wouldn't be a person without the 20 minute nap. It's just right before that REM cycle. Like, Yeah, it's so nice, honestly. It's so nice. I, I love those two because I think you nailed it. Journaling is something I still struggle with doing consistently. I think when I first got into it, I had this expectation of like what I needed to get out of it as opposed to just realizing like I laugh at my journal entries now. And sometimes I have some like fire journal entries that I turn into like articles. But sometimes it's just like I'm stressing the fuck out because I don't have clients. I need to generate more money. I need to do this. I need to do that. And I like will see it go on the page and I'm like, well, damn, like you did some of this already. Like, why are we being so hard on ourselves? Like, like what, what do you want? So maybe we need to clarify like how many clients? What number is that? Like, what are you working toward? And that's been key. That is a great way to do that because, again, like you see that journey. And that's what I was missing. I think that's what made journaling fun, more fun for me. Like what you said, you have to find what type of journaling makes sense for you. For example, I heard about, you know, people journal, you know, we've known Dear Diary since like we were kids. But then when it came to this era of being an entrepreneur and reading those books, books, the book by Julia Cameron, for example, they made this structure that kind of gave me a mental block in itself where I think in the book they say like, okay, for three minutes, write your morning pages every morning. And I found myself dropping the ball. I was doing this in a book club, by the way. So there's more accountability, but I couldn't get into it. And I realized it's because like there was something about the like 
either three pages or five minutes. Like there's something about the structure behind it that I I felt too confined to. Like you can't tell me what time to journal. That's that ADHD. We can't, we have to like flow with when we feel it. Yeah. I wanted to ask people in the group. I can't remember if I did, but I was like, is anybody else like <laughs> struggle with that? <laughs> yeah. So once I realized that for me, actually like before bed is a really great journaling time for me or just on the go. If I'm in a coffee shop, when I'm taking that break after a walk, sitting in the park, I'll jot down some thoughts. I don't make it certain pages. I can make it unserious sometimes. There's times where I sound like ridiculous, but it's like my inner voice. It's so funny because I'm like, I feel like I'm actually journaling how I think and not journaling out of a chore. And then the other aspect is, again, measuring that journey. I think that's something that has probably become the biggest reason outside of, you know, again, another thing you discover, fire content ideas. I've come up with questions, blog. I've come up like, oh, oh, hold on. That's, That's content. Crazy. As fun as it is to look at that side, I love to look at the other side. And like, what would you say today are like some of your unvaluable skills? I know for me, I get into phases where I can really execute. I get a lot done, but I'm very sensitive in terms of like energy. And so there'll be weeks and and maybe even like a month where I almost completely shut down. I feel like doing nothing. And I'm still figuring out like, like kind of why I get into that state. And I know part of it has to do with ADHD, part of it has to do with sleep, still kind of working through that piece and trying to get more sleep. Like, what are some unvaluable skills that you've noticed that you're trying to work through? Yeah, it's such a tricky one because as much as we hate, you know, I can just tell you hate it too, but, you know, like hustle grind culture, obviously you have to get things done or obviously you have to like have a job while you fund your business until you get that off the ground. So there's things you have to do regardless. Sometimes it's like sacrificing sleep. Sometimes it's procrastinating on things, like whatever that is, it happens. But I think that for me, yeah, it can be sometimes just even getting started, sometimes the procrastination, sometimes not feeling tied to something, which is why I have to work with things that I really care about. If I don't feel like aligned with it, it's so hard for me to get into it. And then to tie back to your previous question about like things to do that help, I'm now learning the art of delegating a little bit more. Delegate, delegate, delegate. That's huge. Delegate. That is like my word right now. Like that's also time that you have to dedicate until you get it to where it needs to be. So that's kind of where I've been struggling where I saw something on the internet the other day. Like I think somebody uh, tweeted that they realized that a lack of time or realizing you don't have enough time, like that's part of scarcity mindset. And I would sit there and be like, oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. But it's about knowing where, you know, hey, let me put in this time now to like properly make systems, which sucks sometimes, or properly come up with certain templates or properly train people. And it might take a while, but then it's going to be worth it because then I'll get my time back and then I can rest and then I can do other things. So you kind of start to unlock these things and it's almost like light bulb moments. And that's something that's so fun about having your own is that you're learning so much every day. Well, speaking about having your own, brand curators, I want to hear more about that. And I want to hear, what does that look like? What does like a consultation session look like? Because I have a lot of my listeners are people who are like looking to start businesses, not sure how to start. They started a business and then they don't know if their brand set up for success. They are scared. They're petrified. So 
What does a consulting session look like? I know you are like me. You're like a diamond Swiss army knife. Like we're good at a lot of things. Like what does that session look like for you? Wow. You, I feel like you know me so well already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I do my little know. research. I go on the website. You know, I check yeah. you out. You know, I do my thing. No, it's, it's crazy when you're, yeah, I like that Swiss army knife. Because I think that's actually been something that has, that's part of, you know, the brand creator's journey as well. You know, always... You're always refining, always developing, but it started off, of course, like I mentioned, supporting small businesses. And then it also had the foundation of having like social media and brand strategy roots. So a lot of my background, even, you know, with public relations and more traditional PR, I also worked with a lot of talent. So uh, it was kind of natural to pick up some skills and influencer marketing was kind of a natural transition from the PR world and the social world. I kind of fell into social just because, you know, it all popped up on us and they threw the phone yeah. at me like, hey, you're the 21-year-old here. So figure it out. <laughs> figure it out. Can you like, they were like, you want a live tweet? I used to work um, athletics marketing at, in the basketball team in college. They're like, can you like live tweet? I don't know. Because I fell into those worlds, that's where we started. But we've evolved so much because there's a lot of routes and I have a lot of dreams, Khalil. So <laughs> what it looks like to answer your question. Right now, we are focused on brand development and creative storytelling. And what a consultation really looks like, I really love to learn how my clients think and move. I don't believe that there's any one size fits all, you know, strategies. There shouldn't be ever. If someone tells you that, that don't work with them. Some of the greatest people, consultants, coaches I brought on say that exact thing. They're right, like, we really? take my client oh, for face okay. value. Yeah, that's, that's huge. It's so true. And so I think it goes back to that passion of like, I like to work with people whose values align. I'll tell you right now, some of the things that made me start Brand Curators, just to be very clear, was, of course, wanting to work with people who look like me in underrepresented communities, but also people who valued rest and prioritizing your mental health. I'm speaking for a lot of people because, you know, a lot of stuff happened, but mental health is such an integral thing that the spotlight's been on it, but it, I think it's not a part of a lot of companies' DNA, um, and I wanted it to be a part of ours. So I think that working with clients who really want to have sustainable social media strategies, right? Like, I'm not going to tell you that you need to post three times a day every day. There's growth hacks and all that, but I'm like anti-hacks. I'm anti-algorithms. I really want to focus on what are your values, what are your missions, getting to know what your goals are and helping you get to them, as simple as that. And then there's a lot of different avenues that exist that we can kind of then identify what we're doing with your social, your brand strategy, what we're doing with partnerships. We love to be able to help people do like brand and creative partnerships. And then now we're actually leaning more into talent management. So we really want to represent those creators that we want to align with campaigns. So just kind of being that champion for not only these forward-thinking brands um, and social impact-driven brands, but also being that partner um, and that ally for forward-thinking people. I love that. And I think, again, you nailed it on the head, right? Like you have set up your system to be able to kind of work on things that you care about, even though it's a multitude of different items. And so I appreciate that. And again, you know, your links will be below so folks can, can reach out to you, contact you. One of the last things I wanted to ask you too is, 
I know you were featured in the New York Times and Good Morning America. And what was that like? And what was that like telling your story? Because I know I've done some press. And when I get on the spot, I'm like thinking about my brand all over again. I'm like, oh, overthink thing. Like, what was that like? Like, was it all fun and games? Like, like, what was being featured in those two publications like? Wow. You know, the thing about it, it was interesting being on the other side. So I've always been behind the scenes. I'm saying with air quotes, as a publicist. So I would media train people. I would walk talent on the carpet, tell them where to stand, help them with what to say, help press a line with them. And this time I was in front of things. Like I had the New York Times in my apartment and I'm doing the shoot instead of coordinating it. Um, and so it was definitely different from that perspective, but I fully embraced being a part of that quit talk great resignation era because I recognized, you know, as somebody who recognizes trends and things that are bigger than myself, I'm like, this is definitely a movement. I'm not going to lie. I was definitely, um, you know, thinking about my brand and that's the other <laughs> yeah. side of being a publicist yeah. branding person is that I'm like the brand, the brand, am I aligning with the right things? There was backlash and I hadn't really had like a viral video yet. So I started to see, Trolls come in as our story actually went number one on LinkedIn. And from that, I learned a lot about when you have such strong community and people with like-minded views and you're bold enough to speak about your experiences, that there's people who were clapping back at the trolls for me because they just get it. And a lot of people felt that way that I didn't really know felt that way. So in the article, I talk a lot about a colleague of mine being paid you know, 20 grand more than me and having like no work-life balance. Also, I did some press about the fact that, you know, as a Black person organization, you're often like the problem solver or, you know, the built-in DEI person. Um, so just talking about that stuff and hearing a lot of people say, you know, I went through that too. A lot of people are feeling this at the same time and like, thank you for being that voice. It felt really great. There's people who just felt similarly and it felt like such a great movement to be a part of. So I was actually just very honored that people wanted to hear my story. We'll definitely share that story below. And, you know, I, I was laughing, as you said, like your community came to your aid because Tori and Gabby will be the first to tell you I'm in those comments. I'm, I'm right there, you know, clapping back. And so I got you too. Likewise. <laughs> oh, thank you. I always ask, this is like kind of the last question, like anything that, that you want to share that maybe you didn't get a chance to share um, in the episode, I kind of give you the floor to do so. I would say that a lot of people think that it might be oversaturated in any given space to create or start something. And I just want to say that there's absolutely something that you can bring to the table in any given arena. And everybody has unique thoughts deep down. Sometimes we kind of think that we're assimilating because of social media. And we might think that things have already been done, but being able to start somewhere and really focusing on having community around you. Community is so important to me just to be able to feel not only supported, but to be able to know that there are other voices, thoughts, ideas around you, and it keeps you inspired, and it gives you a place to be able to come back and put other people on. So that's why mentorship, I still really prioritize, and I still always want to be learning. So I'm actually right now doing a program with Black House. Um, Black House is 
a incubator and a nonprofit that is based in Toronto. It was founded by um, the EXO brand, which is most known for the weekend and you know producing so much talent out of that record label. It's actually an extension that gives back to entrepreneurs and creatives. And I was so honored to be included in a program that they're doing that specializes in giving tools to Black entrepreneurs. And so I'm actually in Toronto for a short residency just to soak up as much info as I can and be able to network and actually take advantage of that. And so it's a great opportunity. And sometimes you have to kind of think about those opportunities even in smaller spaces. So that could look like at any time you're connecting with somebody, whether it's a networking event or whether it's in a more relaxed space, is following up with them, connecting, making sure that you kind of let it be known what you do, making sure that you kind of have your elevator pitch. Yes. Feels like such a buzzword, <laughs> but you got to have the elevator pitch. You got to learn how to talk about yourself. And you'd be surprised that just by keeping people in mind, remembering or knowing what they do and keeping them in your circle, people love to feel supported and they'll support you back. And it's as simple as that, just building really authentic connections, finding ways to get your voice out and share information. And that's the biggest thing I've learned in Black Houses. These lessons that we're learning, share them with your community. The co-founder, Ahmed Ishmael, has been telling us, you know, take this back to your circles, bring it back to like old school Hey, you learn about this subject. I'll learn about this subject. You learn about this subject. Let's grab some chairs up, sit outside, and talk about what we learn and just old-fashioned knowledge sharing amongst communities. So there's a lot of lessons I'm learning from that. I'm so excited to be able to share. So definitely keep an eye out. I'll be dropping those gems that are being relayed to me. So if anybody can't be there or have those experiences, they too are, are kind of getting some of the lesson. Love that. It's that Roman style of learning, right? Share what you you take away. Tiff, thank you so much for joining. Uh, Live Out Loud is this literally stuck in my head. So, you know, I know I learned a ton. I know the listeners did as well. Um, all of Tiff's links will be below. Uh, thank you again, Tiff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unstucked podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok at Unstucked.